In 2003, 17-year-old honor student and homecoming king, Jernalo Wilson, was caught having consensual oral sex with his girlfriend who had not yet turned 16. He was convicted of aggravated child molestation, sentenced to a minimum of 10 years in a Georgia prison, and forced to register as a sex offender for life. If Wilson and his girlfriend had just enjoyed good old-fashioned intercourse, as opposed to oral sex, their crime would have been a misdemeanor punishable by a maximum of a year in prison and no sex offender status. The previous year, Todd Centers videotaped consensual sex with his girlfriend who was over the age of consent. No problem, right? Wrong. According to Nebraska state law, although the sex itself was perfect, perfectly legal, taping it constituted manufacturing child pornography. The 17-year-old was legally permitted to have sex but images of her doing so are illegal. Go figure. Adolescents all over the country are getting into serious trouble for sexting one another, snapping a risque photo of themselves with their cell phone and sending it to a friend. Turns out, in many states, these kids can be sent to prison where sexual abuse is rampant for photographing their own bodies, manufacturing child pornography, and sharing the photos distributing child pornography. They're being forced to register as sex offenders despite the fact that they themselves are the victims of their quote-unquote victims and quote-unquote their own crimes. Just say what? In 2005, survey of 12,000 adolescents found that those who had pledged to remain abstinent until marriage were more likely to have oral and anal sex than other teens, less likely to use condoms, and just as likely to contract sexually transmitted diseases as their unapologetically non-abstinent peers. The studies Authors found that 88% of those who pledged abstinence admitted to failing to keep their pledge. If our distorted relationship with human sexuality is the source of much of this frustration, confusion, and ignorance, societies with less conflicted views should confirm the causal connection. Developmental neuropsychologist James Prescott found that Bodily pleasure and violence seem to have an either-or relationship. The presence of one inhibits development of the other. In 1975, Prescott published a paper in which he argued that, quote, certain sensory experiences during the formative periods of development will create a neuropsychological predisposition for either violence-seeking 
or pleasure-seeking behaviors later in life. Unquote. On the level of individual development, this finding seems obvious. Adults who abused children were almost always victims of childhood abuse themselves. And every junkyard owner knows that if you want a mean dog, beat the puppy. Prescott applied this logic on a cross-cultural level. He performed a meta-analysis of previously gathered data on the amount of physical affection shown to infants, years of breastfeeding, percentage of time in direct physical contact with mother, being fondled and played with by other adults, and overall tolerance for adolescent sexual behavior. After comparing these data with levels of violence within and between societies, Prescott concluded that in all but one of the cultures for which these data were available, 48 of 49, quote, deprivation of body pleasure throughout life, but particularly during the formative periods of infancy, childhood, and adolescence, is very closely related to the amount of warfare and interpersonal violence, unquote. Cultures that don't interfere in the physical bonding between mother and child or prohibit the expression of adolescent sexuality show far less lower rather far lower levels of violence both between individuals and between societies while american society twists itself into positions no yoga master could hold britney spears was a vocal virgin while pole dancing in bikinis on TV? Other societies ritualize and seek to structure adolescent sexuality in positive ways. Mangayan youth are encouraged to have sex with one another, with particular emphasis on young men learning to control themselves and take pride in the pleasure they can provide a woman. The Muria of central India set up adolescent dormitories called gotals where adolescents are free to sleep together away from concerned parents. In the gotal, the young people are encouraged to experiment with different partners as it's considered unwise to become too attached to a single partner at this phase of life. If we accept that our species is and always has been optimized for a highly sexual life and that adolescent boys are especially primed for action, why should we be surprised by the explosions of destructive frustration that result from the thwarting of this primal drive? Kellogg's Guide to, sexual, to Child Abuse in 1879, Mark Twain gave a speech in which he observed, quote, Of all the forms of intercourse, masturbation has the least to recommend it. As an amusement, he said, it is too fleeting as an occupation. It is too wearing as a public exhibition. There's no money in it, unquote. Funny guy, Mark Twain. 
but there was a seriousness in his humor as well as courage. As Twain spoke, much of Western culture was waging a bizarre, centuries-long war against any hint of childhood sexuality, including masturbation. The merciless campaign against masturbation was just one aspect of the West's long struggle against the quote-unquote sinful yearnings within human sexuality. We've discussed the so-called witches burnt alive for daring to assert or even suggest their eroticism. The do- and doctors like Isaac Baker Brown, who justified barbaric, dangerous surgery as a cure for nascent nymphomania. These were not exceptional cases, as Twain knew. Following the advice of such prominent, quote, experts, unquote, as John Harvey Kellogg, many parents of Twain's day subjected their children to brutal physical and mental abuse to stamp out any sign of sexuality. Otherwise reasonable, if confused, people ardently believed that masturbation truly was, quote, the destroying element of civilized society, unquote, in the words of the New Orleans Medical and Surgical Journal. Though widely considered to be one of the leading sex educators of his day, Kellogg proudly claimed never to have had intercourse with his wife in over four decades of marriage. But he did require a handsome male orderly to give him an enema every morning and indulgence his famously high-fiber breakfasts should have made unnecessary. As John Money explains in his study of pseudoscientific anti-sex crusaders, the destroying angel, Kellogg, would probably be diagnosed as a clismophile today. Clismophilia is, quote, an anomaly of sexual and erotic functioning traceable to childhood, in which an enema substitutes for regular sexual intercourse. For the clismophile, writes Money, putting the penis in the vagina is experienced as hard work, dangerous and possibly as repulsive. Unquote. As a medical doctor, Kellogg claimed the moral authority to instruct parents on the proper sexual education of their children. If you're unfamiliar with the writings of Kellogg and others like him, their gloating disdain for basic human eroticism is chilling and unmistakable. In his best-selling Plain Facts for Old and Young, written on his sexless honeymoon in 1888, Kellogg offered parents guidance for dealing with their senses' natural erotic self-exploration in a section entitled Treatment for Self-Abuse and Its Effects. Quote, A remedy which is almost always successful in small boys, he wrote, is circumcision. He stipulated that the operation should be performed by a surgeon without administering an anesthetic as the brief pain attending the operation will have a salutary effect upon the mind, especially if it connected with the idea of punishment. Unquote. If circumcising a struggling, 
Terrified boy without anesthesia wasn't quite what a parent had in mind, Kellogg recommended. Quote, the application of one or more silver sutures in such a way as to prevent erection. The prepuce or foreskin is drawn forward over the glands and the needle to which the wire is attached is passed through from one side to the other. After drawing the wire through, the ends are twisted together and cut off close. It is now impossible for an erection to occur. Unquote. Parents were assured that sewing their son's penis into its foreskin, quote, acts as a most powerful means of overcoming the disposition to resort to the practice of masturbation, unquote. Circumcision remains prevalent in the United States, though varying greatly by region ranging from about 40% of newborns circumcised in western states to about twice that in the northeast. This widespread procedure, rarely a medical necessity, has its roots in the anti-masturbation campaigns of Kellogg and his like-minded contemporaries. As Money explains, quote, neonatal circumcision crept into American delivery rooms in the 1870s and 1880s, not for religious reasons and not for reasons of health or hygiene, as is commonly supposed, but because of the claim that later in life it would prevent irritation that would cause the boy to become a masturbator. Unquote. Lest you think Kellogg was interested only in the sadistic torture of boys, in the same book he soberly advises the application of carbolic acid on the clitorises of little girls to teach them to not touch themselves. Kellogg and his like-minded contemporaries demonstrate that sexual repression is a, quote, malady that considers itself the remedy, unquote. To paraphrase Karl Krauss's dismissal of psychoanalysis, his smug satisfaction in tormenting children is striking and disturbing, but Kellogg's no-child-left-alone policy is anything but unusual or limited to ancient history. The anti-masturbation measures quoted above were published in 1888, but more than 80 years were to pass before an American Medical Association declared in 1972, quote, masturbation is a normal part of adolescent sexual development and requires no medical management, unquote. But still, the war continues as recently as 1994. Pediatrician Jocelyn Eldersworth was forced from her post as Surgeon General of the United States for simply asserting that masturbation, quote, is part of human sexuality, unquote. The suffering caused by centuries of war on masturbation is beyond calculation. But this we know. All the suffering, every bit of it, was for nothing. Absolutely nothing. John Harvey Kellogg, Anthony Comstock, and Sylvester Graham, inventor of graham crackers like cornflakes, a food especially, specifically designed to discourage masturbation, were extreme in their grim campaigns against eroticism, but they weren't considered particularly eccentric at the time. 
recall that Darwin probably had little or had had little or no personal sexual experience when he married his first cousin a month before his 30th birthday, and that Simon Freud, the other towering giant of 19th century sexual theory, was a self-proclaimed 30-year-old virgin when he married in 1886. No wonder Freud was hesitant sexually. According to biographer Ernest Jones, Freud's father had threatened to cut off young Simon's penis if he, had, he didn't stop his obsessive masturbating. <laughs>